You made the right move, Josh. I, I am here for all of the right stuff. Yeah, I'm gonna have to. I probably have to edit that one first because Jared came already came in on a tear with intro music like a wrestler for all the right moves. <laughs> so I'm like, well, there's our intro. There's the first 15 seconds of that show. <laughs> I love it so much. That'll uh, be a nice uh, little Easter egg for me then. Mm-hmm. I was telling Jared I was tickling myself, like pat myself on the back the way the <clears throat> I was listening to the Jackass one I posted Wednesday. And I found oh. the, the clip uh, of that guy screaming about having Knoxville's dick hair in his mouth. Like, it was in my <laughs> mouth. <laughs> and r- right at the peak of him screaming it was in my mouth, I cut in that intro music you made, that sober cinema. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> and I, I was like, you know, if I didn't make this show, I'd listen to this. If I heard this, I'd be like, this is the type of show I want to listen to. <laughs> that's when you know you've made it. That's That's when you've done it right. When you impress yourself. The scotch on the rocks, please. Any scotch will do, as long as it's not a blend, of course. Uh, single malt, Glenlivet, Glenfiddich, perhaps, maybe a Glengowrie, any Glen. I'm drunk. I'm thirsty. I want a beer. What about you? Want a beer? Just a drink. A martini, shaken, not stirred. Uh, I'm prepared to be impressed. Go ready to go. <laughs> uh, are we doing this in chronological order? We're going to start with bamboozled. <laughs> We're going to start on our best behavior with a Spike Lee joint this Saturday yeah, morning. It's best not left for the last movie for us to do. I had that thought. Devolve after you know one episode to the next. Me, we're doing them in bunches. Do a little Wizard of Oz thing for our you know fifteen <laughs> listeners we have. That uh, behind the scenes, if you're going to record three episodes in a row, you finish on all the right moves. <laughs> you, do, <laughs> you do not save yeah. the, the slap happy. I'm tired of talking on a microphone. Takes for Spike Lee's bamboozled. That's where we're starting today. <laughs> Yeah, it's probably the best. That way, my bourbon coffee doesn't kick in so, until. Yeah, that's later. just to let, uh, as I said, the fifteen listeners know. Uh, in a couple episodes, you've got Tom Cruise having sex, playing a uh, little pigskin uh, to look forward to, but not on this episode. This episode, I guess we have Ben Stiller acting like a jackass. Meet the parents. I don't think that one needs any introduction. But uh, Jared, start us off. Give us set the scene here on our. Uh, mainstream film and our forgotten film as far as how they were received on what day are we celebrating october 6 2000 getting it out of the way early mm-hmm. um meet the parents 84 percent from the critics 79 percent from the audience 164 thousand or my bad 164 million four hundred fifty four thousand on a 55 million dollar budget and spawned two sequels am i right is there just a trilogy or is there a fourth one Meet the Fockers, and then what's the other one? Little Fockers. Yeah, Little Fockers. Ah, bamboozled. Not so much. No sequels. I'm Bam- aware. <laughs> yeah, no sequel to Bamboozled. Forty-eight uh, percent from the critics, seventy-four percent from the audience. One million eight hundred eighty-three thousand dollars on a ten million dollar budget. So, <laughs> not too many people went to go watch it either. I'm actually kind of surprised on the uh, the budget there because this was one of the uh, 
in that short window for uh i guess the late 90s early 2000s maybe even just 2000 you had some independent movies uh josh's i believe one of his top five favorite films of all time chuck and buck uh, was filmed on <laughs> coming soon coming soon it's, it's amazing that it's on my top five and i still haven't watched it but just because of the fact that you're so adamant here here let's just go take a little stroll down memory lane i found it on your dvd shelf and said what's this it said something about like from a former like producer or one of the creators of like freaks and geeks or something i was like yeah american pie i think it's the yeah the director of american pie i was like my because this ain't good and you're like i will never watch that movie again <laughs> and you said most importantly i will never watch it in your presence which made me just want to watch it all the more and to this day i still haven't because i'm holding out on watching it with you you know what but, uh, i'll make a promise We're, we will okay. do the three of us now jared unfortunately is just going to be roped into this devil's pact uh, we will do sure. a, a, a sit-in <laughs> one day. We'll watch this uh, mythical Chuck and Buck that I believe I still have on DVD. Uh, I can't imagine someone stole it from me. And if it was, it'd be Josh uh, hidden away <laughs> in some shelf. We will do a uh, an immediate reaction episode to that on its anniversary. <laughs> we'll record our immediate thoughts, and uh, then you two will be damned like I've been damned for two decades. <laughs> Um, but my point was bamboozled much like Chuck and Buck was one that came to uh, mind. Uh, it was kind of, I guess, hip, um, uh, in this time period to use digital cameras, uh, mm. that even then, uh, looked like crap. I mean, you could, you could tell a clear distinction. This is not shot on film and something that's shot on, you know, digital now would be like David Fincher's Zodiac or the girl with the dragon tattoo, which is indistinguishable in some ways from film this is clearly not you know you're on a like consumer go to best buy can buy this camcorder look that you're dealing with with bamboozled uh, uh, just to interject real quick though i have to say that like i guess maybe giving um uh giving spike lee a little bit of a extra credit because a lot of his films feel a little bit more indie. Is that like i was actually questioning like was this the intended look was like is this part of the theme like uh and retrospectively probably not but i i was i was definitely questioning that well it's, it's twofold right from what i read something like bamboozled and boy let me tell you um trying to come up with the promo images for this episode <laughs> like <laughs> difficult because i mean you can go to wikipedia if you're so interested and you can see that the film's poster uh the dvd like they were playing with uh racist imagery of the past uh in well, entertainment did they not did they not have problems with getting the trailer aired very much like okay. within the, the yeah. movie? Like, um, because without the, uh, without the appropriate context of like, when you start this film, you were seeing a guy, uh, played by Damon Wayans, who I believe is, uh, Pierre, uh, De La Croix. I think that's how they, that would, that would be the French name and pronunciation of okay. this otherwise well, non-French man. <laughs> right. And, and there's, there are other characters that sort of make fun of him for that, for, you know, he, yeah. he's playing an elitist, uh, TV writer. He is, uh, frustrated, I guess, with his, uh, sort of place in the world. And, uh, in this particular time, um, black television in particular, uh, I think it's sort of making fun of in the late nineties, 2000 era, like some of the, like UPN material, uh, that was yeah. out there. Uh, so this is clearly a satire. And so when you have that set up, while these images can still be shocking, 
and offensive, at least it's in the appropriate context. Uh, I'm not going to take that chance in 2018 on Twitter. <laughs> so I'm going to have to say that the pictures I found for our little promo image, you probably wouldn't even know what the hell movie they're from. They are so generic. It's like, here are two actors in this movie. Uh, <laughs> it does not strike you as that's from Bamboozled. I didn't so, know Michael Rappaport was the star of Bamboozled. <laughs> <laughs> there's, a, there's a great uh, Bill Burr bit mixed in, just sort of, you know, he has that sort of stream of consciousness uh, podcast Monday morning quarterback where he's talking about how he got into it with Spike Lee on Twitter over basketball over the Knicks and Celtics and <laughs> he was saying that even though he disagreed with him on sports he would still take a part in one of his movies as either a nerdy white guy or a racist white guy because those are the only two <laughs> and, and I'm, I'm watching this movie and I'm like oh that's the Michael Rappaport part and like all of his yeah. movies Dayla, my man I'm glad you got your mind right well it's right tight and ready to delight Okay, I'm with this. Mr. Dunwitty, please sit back and allow me to paint a picture. Okay, I'm all ears and my nose is a close second. <laughs> now, I have been doing a lot of soul searching. Okay. And once again, you're right. My previous work has been all surface, superficial. And it's a thing of the past. Yes, I've never really dug deep into my pain as a Negro. Hey, look, those things, they're, they're hard to look at sometimes. Yes, yes, yes. And as Mark Twain so fully understood, satire is the way if we are ever to live side by side in peace and harmony. Right. So my show that I'm pitching is about promoting racial healing. Healing is great. I like this. Give me more. Go on. Yes. Go on. Now, I know you are familiar with menstrual shows. Yes. They came about in the 1840s. Yes. It was a variety show in which the talent was singing, dancing, telling jokes, doing skits, like in Living Color. Right, right, right. That was dope. Now, Mr. Dunwitty, I ask you, when was the last time there was a great variety show on the air? Carol Burnett? Carol was bored. Hee-haw? Hee-haw was good. Keenan and Cal. Yo, that's the stupidest shit on TV, yo. So I say, let's take this form, this very American tradition of entertainment into the 21st century, the new millennium. Okay, okay, no, no. What's the name of the show? We need something that we could sell. Man Tan, the new millennium minstrel show. Man Tan, the new millennium. I really, really like this. You, you know how I know? I'm getting a boner. Huh? <laughs> Swanson Johnson is getting hard. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I like this. I'm feeling this shit. I like this. No, no, I like no, this. No, 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 no. Give me more. Give me more. It's going to take a lot of courage and backbone on the part of CNS to get this thing on the air. You don't worry about that. That's my job. You just be the creative genius that you're proving that you are. Okay, now, who who are we going to get to star in the show? Because we, we, need, we need a star to carry the show. I mean... Can can Whoopi, can she sing and dance anymore? I mean, can she get jiggy? But this one is pretty broad uh, satire and um, was not as well received as I remember. I I thought this, you know, Jared, we're going over the setup here. I thought this would have been far more critically acclaimed, but this was pretty mixed when it came out. I don't know. It's like it just it kind of gets off the rails for me. Like it goes way too off the rails, even for the satire. Well, over two and, hours, like two hours and 15 minutes long. Yeah, it's, it's long. A, a comedy that's routine going for two hours. But, you know, first hour, first hour and a half, it had something really important to say about what maybe, you know, and I, who am I to speak on it? But African-Americans and how they feel about, you know, representation in media and what's expected of them and how they're viewed. But I don't know, just the, the the story and the narrative just goes so crazy there. Josh? 
<laughs> why why are you cackling? <laughs> well, as I, I've said before, like when Jared and I tend to go negative, you tend to come in at positive, and I've I kind of appreciate Jared. I don't feel like he was doing it purposefully there, as far as saying like, yeah, this didn't really work for me. Uh, so I'm kind of intrigued as far as what you would come out because uh, I guess you've already said like maybe the look of the film is kind of distinctive, uh, mm-hmm. but I'm just wondering because this does not seem like something that you would be into at all. What we've talked about previously, I can't remember what film we were talking. Oh, the, the Last Party with Robert Downey Jr. This is like a heavily politicized film, like almost to what Jared's saying. <clears throat> there's less story and plot than there is like, it's more like a film essay where Spike hmm. Lee is like, you can see this as like a 20 minute YouTube video where he just kind of criticizes like uh, the plight of roles people are expected to play based on their race, gender, what have you. And some of the more effective stuff is just when they have the uh, historical clips when you're like, Oh wow. Like yeah. at the time this came out, that was only like, you know, 50 years ago. And this was the type of stuff that was like, was like Ace Ventura of like the 1940s. Like this is like, <laughs> yeah, you, know, you take yeah. the whole family to enjoy. So this doesn't, what I'm saying is this doesn't seem like your wheelhouse as far as the type of movie you enjoy when it's like, the point of it is to make a, a political point as opposed to having a story to tell with it. <clears throat> well, you know, oftentimes I, for me, when you incorporate politics, it, it depends on how nuanced the, uh, the in, in this case the director is and, and the point they're making and I, I may end up surprising you because uh i feel like so early on uh, we already joked about michael rapaport's character in this in this movie and i feel like with the introduction of his character you're immediately getting the the standard um racism type of complaints out of the way of, of a white man who has a certain idea of stereotypes and he just wants to play <laughs> into them. Well, and I think his barometer in one scene for knowing the most about black culture is this TV writer, not knowing all the black athletes he has on the wall <laughs> as right, if to right. say that to know black culture is you just know who's good at basketball or baseball or football. Like that's, there's not like a black scientist on his wall. It is just mm-hmm. Wilt Chamberlain, Michael Jordan. So yeah, he is, and he, he kind of plays into that Colbert like character that like, I don't see color type thing when clearly, right, right. clearly he does. Right. Right. But what I appreciate about this movie, because I mean, we've, we've had plenty of movies preaching about the, the racism of, of white people and individuals and especially in places of power, such as, uh, that character's position in the uh, cable company. But uh, I would liken it to Get Out, uh, the movie Get Out that came out just, was that, that was two years ago now? Am I right? Not, I mean, uh, not nearly as entertaining as something like Get Out. No, 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 the, no. My point of what I'm getting at, though, is is that uh, I felt like um, Jordan Peele was kind of exploring a little bit of liberal racism. And what I mean by that is, like you have the character, like oh, I would have voted for Obama a third term, you know, <laughs> patting like, yourself on the back, yeah, patting <laughs> yourself on the back, saying the things that you think they want to hear, you know, like, um, you know, uh, I'm I'm a, I'm an ally, yeah, not, and yeah, not only the, that, the but thinking that's good enough, that that right, no other actions right. you take, it's just I like Obama, yeah. that's it, that excuses yeah, everything it, else. Yeah, yeah. Whatever else you're going to witness, just realize I would have voted for him a third time. <laughs> you're talking and, and about then, in the entirety of liberal Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I agree with you there, actually, because I think uh, Josh and you and I were talking about Get Out. You were more into it than I was, and I, my criticism of it was that it didn't go hard enough. 
into that. Mm. I felt like there was a yeah. lot more you could hit home with the, uh, you know, the, the sort of the liberal masses. I say that as someone who votes left pretty much in everything. Yeah, like, but there's no there's no harm in real. I mean, whether you're right or left, realizing that <laughs> there's people with the blinders on <laughs> on both sides that they think they've got it so right that they're ignoring everything else <laughs> that they're doing wrong. I think, I think that's a really good comparison though, because I do feel like the satire and Get Out, even though I didn't feel. It could have gone further uh, with that particular mm-hmm. point. I don't know if Bamboozled could have gone further because they'll go pretty far out there. But <laughs> oh, no, no. The satire, <laughs> I don't I guess maybe it's just simply just not as entertaining or as enjoyable for me to watch. Like there is a leap that you have to make with it being satire where you can buy into the fact that whatever show they're performing, which is like a SNL in living color variety show would, would take the mm-hmm. country by storm. I mean, and there's a moment where you just see everyone in the audience in black face. Like you see the, the first episode where they're sort of shocked at what they're seeing. And uh, that may be a bridge too far for me where it's like, I don't know something that particularly edgy. Suddenly everyone in their grandma would just be like, this is the most, this is hilarious. And one criticism I did read about it was that the show itself is actually not that funny for like, you, you think of something like Chappelle show, which, and those sketches are still hilarious and you mm-hmm. watch bamboozled. And I'm, I'm thinking like, mm, no, this doesn't really make me chuckle at all. Other than the fact that it's just kind of shocking to see, I don't find any of it funny. Yeah. And, and that was certainly, you know, I guess the parallel I was going to bring to it is that I feel like Spike Lee is kind of exploring the, the internal racism maybe within the black community itself in terms of what they were certain individuals may be willing to sacrifice for their own, for their own personal gain, uh, which is kind of what we see in the uh, <laughs> Pierre Delacroix. Which character. is something that character's uh, already done. He's already somewhat of a fake as far as changing yeah, his name. They don't, they don't spell it out, but it's pretty much completely there that, you know, he has forsaken like his heritage. Like he doesn't want to be like his parents, Adopted especially his dad. accent and really distance fake himself. Fake accent, yeah. name, yeah. And so the, the very fact that like, well, what is interesting is that it starts out as more of a, a screw you prank. He wasn't really trying to do it to make any other type of point other than to point out their own ignorance of like, oh, you want something, you know, cutting edge? I'll give you something. Like and you're going to fail. The producers, you know, because like of springtime yeah. for Hitler type thing. And there, mm-hmm. there's a lot of that. There's a lot of uh, network. This feels like a version of network. And I don't know yeah. if either one of you, I mean, a, a classic film, but that one, that one's also very broad. Uh, and it's unfair because network's a classic. <laughs> That's like saying, uh, gangster movies like man this isn't as good as the godfather what's up with that like <laughs> but that's clearly what's sort of aspiring to is a modern sort of retelling a network and uh i don't know i don't know why network works for me and this one it's like i i respect it more than i enjoy well, it well this is definitely hitting some some painful areas and like you know you you have the scenes where they're um getting ready to dress up in blackface for the first time and you know Watching a movie like this, you almost feel like you have permission at first to be like, okay, so this is going to be outrageous and it's probably going to be funny. That's kind of your expectation is that, you know, we have black men dressing up in blackface to be outrageous. That sounds like a comedic um, position. And then, like, the music they play and the expressions on the, the two actors' faces as they're doing the blackface, it's quite heartbreaking. It's like you can tell this is a painful thing for them to do. And it's, it's a hard watch for that reason. You know, even, even when there's outrageous and 
things that you could deem as being somewhat funny, it uh, the sting is there. You know, it, let me the, ask you. The, let me flip that. Do you think Network, if it came out now, would it be a harder watch for people as far as how people approach like mental illness? Because our lead character in there is having a breakdown, and the the, the problem is during his breakdowns, he's very entertaining. And so then they start to market, hey, this is the crazy old man who yells and screams. I, I just wonder if people uh, look at it differently now. Here's where my politics are going to shine here, Mike. Oh, is, yes. Uh, finally. Finally. Yeah. I baited him no, into it. it. I, I just – I think – I don't think so. I don't think those are hot – those hot buttons are nearly as – those buttons aren't nearly as hot as race or well, sure. but gender. They're, they're definitely or, more thought about than they would have been in the 70s, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. People are still – yeah, that that stuff is everybody's a little bit more PC about everything now. So, <laughs> Jared, do you think Bamboozled, even with Spike Lee, would get released in 2018? Because how would they market Ooh. this? Jesus, uh, that's that's a good question that I'm not well prepared to answer. I, you know, it's okay, Jared. Three three white dudes <laughs> will speak. <laughs> On whether or not bamboozled <laughs> should or should be as released. the leading authority on types of these, uh... <laughs> yeah, I, I, I actually I think where we are so overly PC that I want to give people the benefit of the doubt to see it as satire and try to. I know that's you know you see a lot of examples to the contrary of people's collective intelligence, well, but I don't think there's any doubt watching the movie that Spike Lee was actually trying to make broad points he wasn't he wasn't making this movie just to be cutting edge and outrageous just to ruffle feathers i mean no unlike unlike the creators of the show within the movie he's all he obviously is making some broad points now one could argue whether or not our society has the intelligence to you know look past their immediate rage and actually look at what somebody's saying uh even if it appears to be controversial uh, that I'm not so confident of because you do have people that no matter what, they just go into rage mode. So like the marketing of get out. Um, I mean, I think you could read between the lines, but I remember like the initial trailers teasers. I think they sort of hid what it was. It was like someone's just going to meet someone's family and there's weird things happening And this. You know I mean? It, it could be <laughs> they're aliens or robots. At least how the initial premise was set up was there's something troubling there. Uh, mm -hmm. that's dangerous. Uh, so I don't know if you need to like, you know, it's like you hide the, the medicine in like ice cream or sort of thing, but like get out as a genre movie. That is a, like a, a horror movie and it is fun. And as you said, Josh, this one is not going to be fun. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, yeah, I don't, I, I think my, I think my issues with it are the length. I think some of the performances, if you're just looking at this movie are off, I think uh, Jada Pinkett Smith is really awful here and she, mm -hmm. She is basically like not so much a fully fleshed out character, but she just sort of is like the Greek chorus that dictates where the story needs to go. Like, cause she is always sort of aloof and saying like, this is too far and it's over the line. But then there'll be moments in film where she's like, see, this is fun and you can do some good work with these actors. She's like defending them in blackface. And then she becomes so unhinged that she is like you know vengeance incarnate like she's there she's uh there to like set things right for all the like sins they've committed and i i think that's there's a lot of leaps you have to make with like that character who is 
you know, supposed to be just a normal TV executive, like a writer herself. Well, I think this film kind of suffers from one of Spike Lee's biggest problems, and that's he doesn't seem to really, not that there are answers to some of these problems, but his movies don't necessarily present things of like, here's the answer. He's more like, here's the problem. Here's the problem. Here, here are the issues. And with this movie, it's like stuff gets so meddled and so muddled at the end that as much as I have already praised this movie about some of the points it was trying to make and stuff, I felt myself kind of being confused. Like, I don't know what I'm supposed to think right now. I don't know. I don't know what's right. <laughs> Like, as a as a middle-aged white man, I, I don't know what I'm supposed to say here. Um, I, I think Spike and, would be very happy with that response. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, maybe that's what he was going for. Maybe he was just saying, you yeah. know, it's not easy. You know, it's well, not easy. Look at, like, Do the Right Thing, which I, I think is considered, like, that's that's his best movie. Uh, that's mm-hmm. my personal favorite of his, so I'm not – there's nothing shocking there with that, that answer, but – you know, that film is a day in the life story where you actually just see normal people with various points of view on race relations in their particular community, in their neighborhood. And, you know, if, if you've not seen it, uh, I won't spoil it, but, you know, he doesn't have definitive answers there either. Like, it's, yeah. it's just sort of an outburst of, like, sort of rage and anger that's been boiling all all day long in this this community. Here, you know, when you're you're talking you're talking about I think the problem I have with it compared to something like Do the Right Thing is the characters in the former film – are all somewhat the same in the sense that they're neighbors. You know, they're they're all from a certain class and background, and they mm-hmm. they know each other. Here, you're dealing with some that are like our Pierre Delacroix, uh, very well off, uh, that sort of run away from where he's come from, and they've brought in these street performers to put on blackface and be on television, and you see them start to change. And I. I, I never know what the motivations are of any of the characters. I, I would say the, um, I forgot the character's name, but the uh, one played by Tommy uh, Davidson, Womack is his character. Mm-hmm. His is the only one that I actually feel comes across as like a real person as far as his his arc, as far as where he goes from someone that's like, I don't know if I'm totally comfortable with this, but uh, you know this is this is well paying. Too, it gets to a point where he can't do this anymore. It yeah, is too disturbing. He did offer some of the more sincere laughs for me too. Of the uh, during the initial pitch when they're at the table, like the looks on his face. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when they start announcing like his name's going to be like what is it? Sleep and eat. Notice I went with Womack as the character name, even though it's <laughs> yeah. slash on Wikipedia. Sleep and eat. I avoided. Yeah, that. like the look on his face when he's like, "Wait a minute, what did you just say?" Like mm-hmm. him realizing. It, that well, that did provide some good laughs, but I, I would say maybe the, those two guys you're, you're talking about, maybe that's where another thread of the theme of the movie comes in. Of have have we taken advantage of black entertainment to the degree of I, I think what the movie is kind of showing is that you've taken two men pretty much in poverty who are willing to do whatever it takes in order to put bread on the table, and even if they have some moral. Womack has seems to have more of a um, moral difficulty, you know, going along with it more so than his partner. His, his other, he's a little bit more about like I just want a chance to get to do, use my talent. Yeah, uh, the Womack character is clearly very blue collar and trying to hustle yeah. and make money. Uh, and then you have the the Man Ray character played by Savion Glover, uh, who's saying, "Hey, this is just an opportunity to show something I'm good at dancing. Like, yeah. you know, as long as I can dance, I'm getting paid for it. I'm doing what I love." Um, yeah, I think that's an excellent point. I guess what Spike Lee was trying to say about, you know, films or TV shows that 
say they're portraying like black culture, but really it's just they're producing something for white people to laugh. They're at exploiting their it. Yeah, their perception of what a black yeah. person is, mm-hmm. all the stereotypes. Maybe I would have preferred the film with those two guys as the leads as opposed to the Damon Wayans character, the TV executive. I I don't know. I, I find his arc to be kind of messy, along with Jada Pinkett Smith. Well, and, and my problem is uh, <laughs> I leave the movie knowing like, okay, what 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 show do they want on television? Do they want the Cosby show or do they want Martin? Like, I don't, I don't know because to me, you could make the argument that either one would be exploitative or either one is showing, you know, a true image of certain black American lives. And it's hard to know. You I know, don't think we would, would accept it. The well, three we of us wouldn't. Yeah. yeah. So the, no, I think, yeah. The, uh, yeah, the, that's that's the part where there was an interview where uh, Donald Glover said uh, his show Atlanta is a show made by black people for black people that white people also enjoy. Uh, and mm-hmm. he was, you know, insulting uh, Blackish, which I believe is Anthony Anderson's show, which is a show about black people made by white people for white people on what they think a black family would be. I have no idea. I mean, I I can't say I've ever seen an episode of Blackish, but I'm also the three of us. We can't speak to what our idea of what a black family show would be. Uh, so I guess the ultimate point would be, you remove the Michael Rappaport character telling a black man, <laughs> "Here's what a black TV comedy show should be," and you just let them do the work. Like Donald Glover has total creative control over yeah, Atlanta. So yeah. that is, you can't argue that whatever that vision is, that's his vision for it. And, and my true opinion on the factor is that it's probably just like what our view our view is on you know white centric shows is that they probably come in all varieties you know it's i mean there's certainly there's not a just big, one walk of life yeah so. i mean there's a big difference between uh you know roseanne and the west wing mm-hmm. <laughs> as yeah, far as who yeah. those audiences are for and what they're supposed to be about so right, there should just be right. a wide variety uh <laughs> on that note <laughs> we've got meet the parents going up against <laughs> bamboozled and honestly i knew coming in this we were going to talk a lot more about bamboozled not only because there's more meat to dive into there but i'm assuming meet the parents is something people are already familiar with we don't really need to explain the setup it has been stiller mugging like a jackass because he's afraid of robert de niro for 90 minutes two hours and trying to impress him and failing and uh i guess it is a fairly universal setup of uh you know, a hopeful future son-in-law trying to impress the dad and trying to get uh, his permission to, to marry his daughter. So with it being our mainstream film, I'm assuming both of you had seen it before. Oh yeah. Many times. Okay. So Josh, on that note, is it a, has it entered like comedy classic territory or, or no? Like it's, it was obviously very successful. I I think for me it has, I mean, it's not, it's not something that I like rank as like the one of the funniest movies you'll ever watch, but there are just there's certainly um, I, I think Ben Stiller has the market on awkward humor pretty pretty good as far as like putting himself in uh, situations that are just terribly terribly awkward and he plays that well and playing it off of Robert De Niro is a really good choice because he certainly maintains that no nonsense. Uh, veneer the whole time. And this being 2000, we weren't quite through with Robert De Niro in the comedy <laughs> roles. Like right, he had, no. don't analyze this. He still had an imposing presence. Yeah, yeah. It was still this, kind this of... Is, this, is, this is a good type of comedy for him because he's still playing more of the straight 
man. It's just the, you know, tough guy. Yeah, you, but it you've works in the comedic. Scary De Niro uh, from a gangster movie, and you've put him in a Ben Stiller comedy world. Yeah. And that's what yeah, makes yeah. it so funny. Much better role than what was his. Where's the poopy? Who? Oh yeah, <laughs> what was oh, that movie? A sober cinema uh, classic. Uh, go back to the comedian. Uh, that was one of our early episodes. Uh, and the the best thing for you two that came out of that was since Josh referenced making poopy the song, I couldn't find a YouTube clip of it, so I had to go to the movie, hold a microphone up to my computer, and record it myself. And the oh, damn dog kept oh. barking, and I'd have to start. So I probably listened to that thing twelve times trying to get an ideal. Version, you know, we'll, we'll throw oh. that back on for the uh, closing music. Where's the puppy? Thank you, Beard. Um, You're welcome. I expected uh, you to not be into this, Jared. This just doesn't Why seem like your type. I don't know. It just doesn't seem like your type of comedy. Um, it's awkward humor, but I wouldn't say it's mean spirit. It's definitely like a family comedy. Like it's got kind of a light mm. touch to it, and you seem to like things <laughs> draw a little bit more blood. So I just thought. <laughs> I thought this is something that you might have enjoyed when you were younger, but now not so much. So what, how was it watching it this time, 18 years later? Uh, I think you were pretty much accurate in what your uh, thoughts were going to be. I don't think it's, I wouldn't say, like anything that's aged for a while, it's lost a little bit of its shine, a little bit of its luster from whenever I watched it. You know, God, that was 18 years ago. It was fun watching it in that sense though, because when it came out, we were all, you know, 17, 18 years old or whatever and didn't really have the perspective about actually meeting, <laughs> you know, your your girlfriend, fiance's wife or parents. So we were like, this is, uh, you know, exaggerated, but how exaggerated is it? <laughs> it's sort of mythical in nature. Like, yeah. Especially if you're watching as a teenager, it's already awkward if you're going to pick up a girl on a date. Just mm-hmm. talking to any adult, you know, that's like you, you were looked at with accusing eyes anyway, being a hormonal teenager. So. I hadn't thought about that. Maybe it was heightened when I watched it the first time because uh, it was more imposing and scary. But there are definitely – I'd say what's really impressive about it now, the, the thought I probably didn't have as a teenager, is there are a lot of these type of comedies. There's a lot of type of movies that we've railed about on this podcast where it's like, you know, uh, this problem would just be solved if you just kind of play it straight if you just, you're up front about yeah. what's going on. I think it does a really good job of putting me in the mindset of Ben Stiller on why I would lie, why I would make things up, because you don't <laughs> expect that this little white lie is going to come back to you like days later and really, really be like, you know, the straw that breaks the camel's back. But he just keeps stacking them up there. And I find that really impressive in comedy because most of the time it's totally unrealistic. But I think I'm with the movie the whole time. Of like, mm-hmm, I understand why he's doing this. I understand well, why he's trying to pass off a cat and painting its tail. Mm-hmm, sure. <laughs> a good example of it, too, is the fact that uh, De Niro's character, he's is it ex-CIA or whatever yeah. it is. Mm-hmm. Um uh, because of the fact that, and there's individuals like this, e- even without being ex-CIA or whatever, but it's like, you know, the dinner scene where uh, Greg says something about like, oh yeah, we used to milk animals, you can milk <laughs> anything. And that, that, that's like a throwaway line, you're thinking like, nobody's going to call me out on this, that's just a throwaway line. But no, De Niro's like, oh, what'd you milk? You know, like, I want to know. <laughs> and, 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 uh, and it says cats. <laughs> I milked a cat once. You want to hear a story? Sure. My sister had a cat, and the cat birthed a litter of kittens. Must have been 30 of them. And there was this one little runt, this little sweet little 
little engine that could run, who could, you know, wanted to get up there and couldn't really get access to the, to the, to the, to the, to the uh, teat. Teat? Dad. What have you. I went in and just simply, you know, just into a little saucer and uh, then took the saucer and fed it to Geppetto. That's why I named him Geppetto. I, I, I had no idea you could milk a cat. Oh, yeah, you can milk anything with nipples. I have nipples, Greg. Could you milk me? Okay, can we change the subject? Which does get brought up throughout the film, uh, calling uh, Greg Fokker here a pervert. Uh, when he, tried to, he thinks the cat ran away because this guy tried to milk him. <laughs> yeah, uh, exactly, and that's uh, that's just the perfect kind of combination of like awkward humor along with <laughs> absurdity that uh, I, I think makes this movie still work. Yeah, I uh, actually, I think I'm like Josh. I've probably seen this uh, a handful of times. Either, you know, I think it's one that's been played on like TBS to death, like in the mm-hmm. two decades. Uh, but I don't think I ever hear, and maybe it's the sequels that kind of did it in. I don't often hear this one regarded as like like a Groundhog Day, which is kind of spoken of with reverence as like that's an all-time like classic comedy movie. Uh, what, what do you think, Jerry? Do you think it's the, you know, the little Fockers, the meat the Fockers that sort of, did it like dim this one? If they just left it alone, it would be more appreciated. Yeah, definitely. I think that's a good point. Like, there's no <laughs> Groundhog Day two or three that we can, you know, that probably would have or you know made, made it go off the rails. Or so we just get tired of it. We get tired of these characters. Well, you get tired of it. I didn't really even think Dustin Hoffman was that great in the Meet the Fockers. Watch your mouth, son. <laughs> That's a that's a weird line. You know, we've been friends for decades, and Josh, I didn't think those would be fighting words. Be like, you know, Dustin Hoffman, just not for me. <laughs> I'm sorry, Tootsie. <laughs> Another classic. I'm not really I'm not really saying that as a broad like defense of Dustin Hoffman altogether. I'm just saying it was like I appreciated his role in Meet the Fockers. I, I thought that was probably the saving grace of that movie. I think I saw that one when it came out in theaters, and I've like totally forgotten it. I don't think I saw the third one. No, I don't think I saw the third one either. I think the second one's okay, and I, I do think Dustin Hoffman, for me, brings uh, he brings more new to it, especially to the awkwardness of like now, now you have uh, <laughs> your, your your own father that you're embarrassed of, who's kooky like Dustin Hoffman, and you're having to show him off your very intimidating father-in-law. Which that's not what this podcast is about. We're not talking about the sequel, but. Um, because Jared and I have no memory, so we're like, mm-hmm, whatever you say. <laughs> I appreciate Dustin Hoffman. I'll, I'll put it Josh that. But I, I, I agree. <laughs> I agree with your all sentiments, though. Like, I, I do think that having sequels watered down the integrity of the original, so that it probably isn't held in that same regard. I still think it's like you know, Hall of Comedy worthy, though. I mean, just because it has the sequels that weren't nearly as good, I still like. I still think some of the luster was gone from it because maybe just because I've seen it half a dozen times or whatever, but I, I still think it's one of those all time, like, you know, meet the parents. That's a funny film. You know, nobody's going to disagree with you. I think, well, you know, I say that. And cause I was wondering in my head, like what for you all is the, is the, the best Ben Stiller comedy? Cause I think most people oh, may, may pick this one. They may say like, Oh, probably meet the parents. I, I certainly think with the sequels that spawned financially, it was probably the most popular comedy he was involved mm. with. But for me, it's Zoolander, 
Yeah. <laughs> that sequel was really bad. And you know what? I don't even care. Like that that to me, you know, having uh you had Meet the Parents, I believe Zoolander was the following year, two thousand one. And uh yeah. Yeah, he was at his the highest powers, but I don't think that one will ever be touched for me as far as me wanting to go back to <laughs> or even just specific scenes I think of. Uh it's definitely gotta be that one. There's a lot of like a lot of the humor in Meet the Parents or even going back to something like there's something about Mary or whatever, a lot of it's in the writing, it's in the the roles of the whole cast, the story. And I mean, there's nothing wrong with that, but I do think if if we're going to grade Ben Stiller himself, I think Zoolander, not just because he, uh, he both write and direct. I know he directed it. Did he write it as well? I think, I think maybe? so. I think he wrote it with um, somebody. Yeah. Uh, not just for those reasons, but just, he's putting it all out there on the screen of just sheer ignorance. Well, it's you more know, like, like uh, Tropic Thunder. It's more, he's yeah. definitely more absurdist where, uh, there's something about Mary and meet the parents. You're right. Those are situational comedies where you're just putting yeah. a normal character into really heightened situations and you're just seeing yeah. how he'll react. And, uh, Zoolander and Tropic Thunder, it's like, it's what his character does. Yeah. Uh, I'm in agreement. If there is a connective thread, but besides the date between these two, uh, it's just how awkward <laughs> uh, one is awkward to watch because it's uncomfortable as far as, the subject matter of, you know, our country, our history and entertainment, what we consume. And the other one is, uh, you know, like the, the office or parks and rec would make popular years later on NBC, just that sort of awkward comedy where you're just seeing Mm -hmm. people in awkward moments and, uh, you're just basically seeing how they fight their way out of it. Um, and I've heard some people say that like, uh, my wife, kind of struggles with these type of comedies where oh, sometimes yeah, it can go over the too. line too much where she's like, I'm just, too, this makes me too uncomfortable to even It stresses enjoy. some people yeah. out, doesn't it? Yeah. Uh, I, I enjoy them. Uh, so, I mean, clearly for me, <laughs> I'm going to come down the side, like for the purpose of our podcast, I'm going to enjoy the one that is putting someone else through the ringer. Whereas bamboozled, I feel like is like attacking me. It's like, Hey, I didn't do anything. <laughs> I don't, I don't have any power here. <laughs> I didn't start making podcasts till, you know, 15 years later. And we still, we have 15 listeners. That's all we can control. <laughs> so I, I think this time, and even if you probably prefer bamboozled, you would have to be realistic and say like, well, clearly something like meet the parents probably deserves to have the mainstream recognition. Like, as much as you love Bamboozled, I think it would be unreasonable to be like, why? Why wasn't this number one at the box office that week? Why weren't people going out in droves to see Bamboozled? So it's it's an uncomfortable watch. It's probably above. That sounds really snarky and snobbish, but there's going to be a lot of people that's not going to even kind of get the point. I, I think to Bamboozled, you know, just because they lack <laughs> reading the the depth of it. Shout but out to Hyro. Superman Hyrule. <laughs> oh, I, much, much like Gaylord Parker in the pool. I, I spiked that one up for you, didn't I? Like, <laughs> it was so. I, I was almost like I almost pulled that one foul because I was like so like oh there it is there it is I can mention Hyro and almost you know, had the timing off there. He'll probably say I did have the timing off that, but fuck him. Meet the parents is definitely just more enjoyable. It's not. It's not nearly as important of a film as Bamboozled, but uh, Bamboozled is really hard to approach. It's really hard to uh, get into, and I, I would imagine that uh, <laughs> you could sit all of America down to watch both these movies. And How long are they going to last in Bamboozled? Not long. For numerous reasons, whether it be disinterest or whether it be like, oh, I'm offended 
or white guilt of like, oh, we shouldn't be seeing this. Or just you basic, know, this uh, is not how I want to spend my Saturday night. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. All of the above. And it only gets worse as the movie goes on because it, it's actually more whimsical early in the film than the territories it gets into. Jared, so. be honest. Did you catnap during Bamboozled? Did you ever tap out and have to double back? No, no. I think that... Meet the parents? It, what? I'm just wondering if you fell asleep during either one of these. Oh, well, well the, my, a nap joke. Hilarious. Um, <laughs> that's, not, that's not a joke. That's, that, that, that's I did a new not br- fall asleep, actually. No, I did not. Thank wait, you. you. Wait till we get to the right stuff. There will a be one episode <laughs> streak. There we go. Um, See, I think you didn't fall asleep during Bamboozled because you felt like Spike Lee was in the room judging you. And you're like, I'm, you're at my full no, attention, no. Mr. Spike. I watched oh, I all it. of it. You know, it's the struggle with trying to figure out which one of these. I think Josh has already said most of what I was going to say anyway. But, you know, it's it for what purpose you're going to watch these movies for. You know, Bamboozled is something that's much more important than Meet the Parents. But Meet the Parents is <laughs> undeniably more enjoyable experience. So, it, you know, you should watch Bamboozled, but you're going to have a better time watching Meet the Parents, I, I guess. There's room for both. I own uh, both on DVD. I think Josh is now in possession of my beloved bamboozle, just like he's in possession of Chuck and Buck. Uh, I'm sure if I turn around and look, it'll be there'll be an empty spot there where Josh has got his grubby, devilish hands on my Chuck and Buck, and it'll come back. Well, we live in a uh, racist time, Mike, and bamboozled isn't provided on any streaming service nor is chuck and buck so well the dvds is the ways i gotta go i i personally believe that chuck and buck when they would put in whatever code and algorithm to put it on there uh like chain letter someone takes it off because they're, they're trying to save the youth from stumbling on chuck and buck. <laughs> i swear i do like 18 different movie podcasts and People, if they listen to all of them, like the mythology of Mike, they would think Chuck and Buck is my favorite movie. It gets brought up all the time. We're never, we're never talking about it, but we're talking around it like it's the tape from The Ring. So stay tuned for this upcoming episode where we all die together watching Chuck and Buck. Okay, I see you all like bathroom humor, which is, which is good because that's what I like. We're all thinking alike. I think we should play a game. You mean like Trivial Pursuit or something? Yeah. Or, like, you know, like some other kind of game. Like one of those games where you stick your dick in my mouth and I stick mine in yours. Chuck and Buck, suck and fuck. Okay, great, here we go. Here goes Maestro. Another fear. Another year. Another animal in your rear. Constipation, not making. 